Area 941 podcast are produced and distributed by Community Powered 94.1 KPFA Radio. Please help support Area 941 at kpfa.org. This is the Area 941 Radio Walensky Podcast. I'm Richard Walensky, and we're talking about books, about theater, about film, about television, and from time to time, even about KPFA, Pacifica Radio. My guest is Sherilyn Parsons, who's the founder and executive director of the Bay Area Book Festival that occurs this coming weekend in Berkeley on the 28th and 29th. From what I understand, 250 authors will be scattered around Berkeley. I guess Civic Center is the location of the outdoor event? We take over downtown Berkeley's main park, Civic Center Park, MLK Park, and there will be a chronicle stage in the outdoor park, four speakers happening there each day, Saturday and Sunday. Then there's 12 other venues we're using, Berkeley Rep, the Freight and Salvage, the Brower Center, the VA Memorial Building, a variety within really a few minutes walk within downtown Berkeley. For those people who will be at Berkeley Rep all day, Seeing Angels in America. Yes. Is there food over there in the Civic Center? Oh, yeah. We have a whole bunch of food trucks that come in, and we'll have a picnic area, so you can really stay the whole day. There are also some exhibitors with sampling, and, of course, there's a lot of restaurants in downtown Berkeley. And we actually also have a special session on Angels in America. I'm pretty sure it's Saturday morning, and it is a session with LGBTQ writers talking about the impact of the play. And it's led by Sarah Leonard, who is the dramaturge for the play. Some of the people who will be there at the entire event, Robert Reich, Pico Iyer, Rebecca Solnit. Yes. When is Rebecca Solnit going to be Rebecca around? is Sunday afternoon, and she'll be on with L.A. Kaufman, who's a longtime friend of hers who's written a terrific book on activism, the history of activism. And Alice Waters will be there? Alice will be there, and I'm thinking she is Sunday morning around 11.45, and she'll be on with uh, Jonathan Kaufman, chronicle writer who's written a book about hippie food, about how we all change how we eat, thank goodness, thanks to the hippies, we no longer eat TV dinners. Is Dave Eggers doing an event too? Yes. I think he is Sunday afternoon at the Freight and Salvage, and he has an interesting interlocutor, a sixth-grade student whom he has selected, who is a spoken word poet who is going to be interviewing Dave. He usually goes for an unusual interviewer, or he uses his celebrity to draw attention to other writers, which is a very generous thing to do. So that's what he's doing. And Vietan Win. Yes. will be there too. Yes. He is appearing on Saturday afternoon. He's being interviewed by Karen Te Yamashita, who teaches at Santa Cruz. And Viet will be speaking about art and politics. And he wanted very specifically to talk about really the meaning and the power of literature and the arts in, in changing the world. One issue I see as we're talking about this is that people can't bifurcate or trifurcate. They have to make choices as to which one to see because unlike 
I think Litquake is a few days longer. Ten Unlike days long. Litquake, yeah. it's just two days. I know it's terrible. That's that's the worst part of the whole thing. I mean, the 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 the, the most intense time actually is I look at the schedule Saturday at three fifteen, and I think, why did we do this? Why did we plan eight sessions at the same time? There's just a lot going on, but you know, you just have to choose. But I will say that we're podcasting the sessions, so you know, people can select the one they really want to see the most, and then you can get the rest in podcast later. Had you considered maybe extending it, making it like four or five days? We've thought about that. Some book festivals go into the evenings on other days because, you know, people work during the day. You know, we could do it another weekend, I suppose, but it's tricky. There's also the question just of, of the size of it. First year, this is now our fourth year, the first year we were even bigger and I pulled back pretty radically, intentionally, in the second year, just to make it more manageable. And then the third year, we expanded a little bit more. And then this year, we're expanded back. And I'm wondering about maybe even pulling back. The next year will be our fifth year. And so we're really coming into a sense of identity. Sherilyn Parsons, the previous three years were in early June. What happened? UC Berkeley wanted to be much more involved, and we, of course, wanted them much more involved. But previously, in early June, the festival was outside of the main semester. And so many faculty members leave town. Students, of course, are gone. So we moved it to within the spring semester, barely. And I have to say, after the last year's festival, I spent like a month trying to find a date that worked with the university calendar, with the city, with our venues, and we finally settled on a date that is the day after classes end. And at first I thought, is that going to be really terrible? Aren't these students studying for finals? But there's something called dead week right after classes end, so there's no classes for a week, then finals. And I was told by the Daily Cal people, in fact, that the weekend after classes end is a great weekend. No one studies. They're so ex exultant about finishing their classes, and it's a great time just to go and hang out and play at a festival. So that's why we moved it there. And, of course, then yeah. Berkeley Rep decides they're going to do Angels on one of the days. <laughs> right, right, which is going to be fantastic. We're going to have, like, all this literary artistic stuff happening downtown. So, you know, and there's a big break between parts one and two of Angels. And so people can step out and go check out a festival session, go shop, you know, in our exhibitor area if they'd like. Also, there's a film series over at uh, Pacific Film Archive. Is that yes. happening during the day or at night? Both. So it's happening Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday nights before the festival weekend. And it opens actually with Greil Marcus, who is introducing the Manchurian candidate, which we thought was highly relevant. The, the original. The original, yeah, yeah. And he, he's written about it. Wednesday, Thursday, Friday night. Then Saturday afternoon, starting at 3.15 in the afternoon, with an Inuit film, actually, native film from Canada, then Saturday night, then Sunday afternoon, and Sunday night. And also something with Errol Morris. He won't be there, though. Oh, yeah. Oh, he will definitely be there. We're flying okay. him out. He will be here big time, in fact. He has two sessions at the festival. He has written an amazing book called The Ashtray, colon, or The Man Who Denied Reality. And the scientific philosopher Stanley Kuhn, who wrote about relativism, threw an ashtray at the young Errol Morris when Errol was a graduate student and tried almost to derail his career. And it was a turning point for Errol. So he has since written a long series of pieces in the New York Times debunking this 
theory of relativism, which, of course, is what Errol's films are so much about, about coming to a sense of truth or falseness. So he's presenting his new book at the festival. He'll be interviewed by Edward Frankel, who is the brilliant mathematician at UC Berkeley. When will that be? That, I believe, is Saturday afternoon. So he's presenting his own book. He's also, Errol Morris, will also be interviewing Jeff Dyer, who's written a new book on photography. And, of course, Errol's written on photography. And then Errol, Saturday night, is introducing his film, The Brief History of Time. And then again on Sunday night, Errol is introducing his film, The Fog of War. So he's all over the festival all weekend. What role did Tom Luddy play in all this? Important role. Tom and I are friends, and he heard about the book festival when it was just an idea. We played around with some ideas because, of course, he founded the Telluride Film Festival, so he knows what it's like to develop something like this. And we wanted to do a film component of the book festival from the beginning, but the very first year, BAM PFA was moving to its current site, and there was no place really to show the films. So we waited till the second year and then developed this film and literature series with films that have to do with books in some way. Either it's a biography of a writer, or it's a, um, an adaptation, or a film that comments on literature or is about the publishing world. So Tom selects the films with me and Kathy Garretts, who's a film curator at Band PFA. It's a lot of fun. We get to see them all in advance and bat around some ideas. Let's go back a little bit and talk about how this all began. Now, you were down south working fundraising mostly for journalism. I had a variety of clients. I was really passionate about journalism, particularly relating to social justice. And so I was at the Annenberg School, USC for a while. I consulted with the Maynard Institute on diversity and journalism up here. One of my clients was a Center for Investigative Reporting. And they just had gotten a new executive director who didn't have any fundraising experience. And I knew about raising money in the journalism world. So I started doing some work when I was still in L.A. And we began to develop a statehouse project that just took off, raised a lot of money for it. And I ended up moving up here to help develop it. And you were friends with the co-creator of the L.A. Times Festival of Books. Yes, Narda Zakino, Robert Shear's wife. I went every year, and I think now they're going into their, what, 23rd or 4th year, and it was my favorite weekend of the year. I would plan it, literally put it on my calendar a year in advance, and I was there every second, and I would get a pass because I knew the organizers, and I would just scurry from one event to the next, you know, upset like you were saying earlier that I had to miss any of them. And Sunday afternoon, I was always so sad that it was almost over, and I wanted to be part of that world and the book world. I'm a writer also. I've got a novel manuscript. I've done some short stories and some travel writing, and I just have always wanted to be in the book world. So I was at this L.A. Times Festival longing to be more part of it, but there was that. And then I moved up to the Bay Area, and there was, to my surprise, not a free weekend walkable book festival. There is Litquake in the fall. Which is great, yes. And I went to Litquake events, but it wasn't everyone coming together, tens of thousands of people at one time sharing the experience of all kinds of sessions happening simultaneously along with exhibitors and a full literary marketplace. 
So I missed it, and I thought this area in the Bay Area is so highly literary. There's so many great bookstores. Someone should do a book festival. So I just had that idea for a couple of years, and I was at CIR all this time, and I began to think, you know, I wonder. I wonder if I could do this. And I had no event planning experience. I had not planned anything more than a luncheon. I didn't really like events, in fact. And I didn't know the publishing industry. I knew books well, but I didn't know publishing. And I had raised not a dime for it. And I had no partners. And I had nothing, just an idea. So it took a while. It was really challenging. But I ultimately quit my job and uh, decided to start a book festival. It was all volunteer at first, and we finally got a couple little grants, which helped, but it, it, it took some, some effort. So how do you start? I mean, you're going, what do I do? Did you talk to a bookstore owner? Did you walk suddenly into City Lights? Yes, <laughs> in both cases. <laughs> yes, Paul Yamazaki at City Lights was a champion early on, and that mattered so much because I had no credibility. I was just sort of outside the book industry. And I knew some people in the book world. The people who owned Booksmith Books, in fact, were early advisors. And I remember them saying to me, you can do it. You could, because I said, should I really try? I don't really know what I'm doing. Why this side of the bay and not the city? I looked at the city as a possibility. The festival was going to be in Civic Center Plaza. That was one vision for it. But I live in Berkeley. Berkeley was another option for hosting it. The city of Berkeley was very interested in us having it here, but so was the city of San Francisco. David Chu actually was supportive of the idea, and I got an endorsement from Ed Lee. In the end, when UC Berkeley signed on as wanting to be a strong partner of the festival, and the fact that the city of Berkeley was so welcoming. They were a lot easier to work with, honestly, than the city of San Francisco, and so I decided to do it in Berkeley. And I'm so glad that we did. It's a very welcoming, sort of homey, highly intellectual, socially conscious community here. One of the advantages of downtown Berkeley is there's so many theaters. It's amazing. Theaters and auditoriums within just a few minutes' walk, more than there are in downtown San Francisco, or in the Civic Center of San Francisco. How many are going on at once for you, I mean, in, that are actually in venues? I think about 13. So there are 13 different theaters being used? Yeah, I think we have 15 venues overall, including Berkeley Children's Theater we're using for a couple of sessions. This year, we're using the Veterans Memorial Building. We're outfitting that into a festival venue on Saturday and Sunday. We have the Freight and Salvage, which is our main stage, the biggest stage. We have a Chronicle stage in the park outdoors that will allow about 600 people to watch a session. The Brower Center, the Marsh Theater, we're using both the theater and the cabaret. The Hotel Shattuck Plaza has been fantastic to us. We're using their ballroom, and we have another room there. So it's truly all within just a couple minutes' walk. And people, for some of the events, would have to buy tickets? Everything outdoors is free. And we haven't talked about the outdoor festival and all the exhibitors and so on yet, but that's all free. And the Chronicle Stage Outdoor, which is a main stage with some of our featured speakers, completely free. The indoor sessions, you can get a wristband, which is a low-cost pass, 
or you get tickets, a priority ticket allows you to ensure a seat, reserve a seat in those sessions. And you can do that through baybookfest.org. Yes, yes. And we make it highly accessible. It's a core value of ours to keep everything very accessible. And that includes wheelchair accessibility. Absolutely. We've been getting requests. Yeah, hearing impaired and wheelchair. Yes. I want to go back to the origins of this thing. So Mm -hmm. you go to these bookstores Then you go to the city, you just start calling it random? Because of having worked in journalism, I knew people at the Chronicle, I knew KQED, some other folks. I had, again, no credibility. That was a big part of starting something. I was basically out there trying to sell a vision, and who was I to do this when I didn't have any experience, really, in these areas. So I just had this vision. But the Chronicle signed on. Um, UC Berkeley signed on. That was a lot of credibility right there, mostly just because I knew various people and sort of talked my way into it. And once you have one name signed on, I don't mean a name of an author, but an organization like the Chronicle, like UC Berkeley, like the city of Berkeley, suddenly you sound like you have something there, even though you are still just an idea. But you begin to leverage one thing to another thing, another thing, and soon there is more than an idea. I also did a lot of networking within the publishing world. So I would go to various networking events, social events, talk up the book festival and get people excited about it. And they had real expertise, unlike me. And then they would start to help to shape it, give me input. And that's how it grew. Yeah, I could never do that. (laughs) (laughs) It was exhausting (laughs) and stressful and terrifying. Totally terrifying, actually. (laughs) Did you have people like, you know, going, you don't want to talk to her She'll just talk your ear off. Yes, I think that happened. People don't say that to my face, but I think in the city of Berkeley, there are people who look at me like that because enough already. I'm sick of hearing about this. You're pitching, you're pitching, you know. (laughs) At what point did that first thing come together? How did you know that, oh, my God, we are doing this? I remember sitting in the chancellor's conference room. And that's a big deal to get a meeting in the chancellor's conference room with the chancellor and a bunch of other people, some deans at UC Berkeley. And again, it was networking from just knowing faculty members on up, pitching, writing overviews and this and that. And I was debating between holding the festival in San Francisco or in Berkeley. And I really could have gone either way. And the chancellor at the time was Nicholas Dirks. And he had known about book festivals, particularly one in India that I've been involved in called the Jaipur Literature Festival, which is the biggest in the world. And Stop. How did you get involved with that? With Jaipur? Yeah. Because I was traveling in India and working on my own book, which is partly set in India. I happened to be there during the Jaipur Festival, and I heard about it, and I thought, oh, book festival. And at that point, I was planning to develop the one here, so of course I'll go to any book festival. So I went, and I managed to get myself a press pass. And so I was behind the scenes, and I talked to the organizers, and I wrote a story that they loved because I love the festival so much. And then I became friends with them and began to go regularly. And I was on a session there last year. <laughs> so you're, you're in the chancellor's office. I'm in the chancellor's office. And I was really, as I was saying, debating doing it in San Francisco or in Berkeley. And the chancellor, Nick Dirk, said, okay, you know, well, I think we'd like to be partners with this. And I said, 
Are you sure? Are you in? I will say that UC Berkeley is a partner with the festival. We're doing it in Berkeley. I want you to know this is making my decision. I will say no to the city of San Francisco. And it was for real. I mean, I was going to say no. And he said, yes, we're in. And I literally put my hands out like you're in a football like I'm not a football person, but like people put your hands out like right. in a football clutch or something, you know, like you're in, you're in, you're in. And we were in. And that's what decided it. And I suddenly felt like, okay, I'm rooted. And that's when you were able to get the clubhouse there for the venue for the opening night? That came much later. When I confirmed the location of the festival in the chancellor's office and with others at UC Berkeley, that was probably 2014. The first festival was June 2015, and it was way before even envisioning a party. Sherilyn Parsons, now according to your bio, you are, quote, finishing a novel. Is that novel finished? Oh my gosh, what a question to ask. (laughs) It's much easier just to gather other writers and promote them. Yes, my novel is, how about this, nearly finished, which means I have a complete draft. I've been over the draft a few times. Certain parts need a little bit more work than other parts, but I've got a good agent who's interested in the book, and I just have to finish it. So after the festival, that's something I'm doing. I'm actually going to Big Sur for a week, two weeks after the festival, to jump back into the book and set myself a pace for keeping on working, working on it. And then once you're done, your agent gets it, and you see what happens. That's right. That's right. I see if I get to one day be in my own book festival. What is the Young Authors Writing Contest? We work with local schools, and we put out a writing prompt. We work with different teachers and writing coaches in these schools, and kids write essays in response to this prompt. We put the winners in the festival and on the website and in the Chronicle Guide. The contest is over, and the winners are already announced, but there will be one for next year, one assumes. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. So the other thing that's interesting about this Young Writers Contest is that we applied it to another community this year. So we worked with the Grayton Rancheria Native Tribe in Sonoma, and we did a writing contest with them. They have an after-school program. We had tutors work with the kids on a writing prompt about problems that those kids see in their communities, and they wrote responses to it. And we developed the essays with the kids. We had tutors working with them. They're being published in an anthology. And the best of those essay submissions, the kids are presenting on stage at the book festival this year. One final question about the festival. There are three focuses. One we've talked about, which is youth and writing. Yes. And the other two are women's lit and native voices. Right. Native Voices is thanks to the support of Grayton Rancheria. We have a couple of sessions uh, focusing on Native issues. We've got one on genocide and rebirth, really an emphasis on the rebirth side of Native communities. And then we have two young Native writers, uh, Tommy Orange and Katharina Vermette, who are going to be speaking about their fiction. And then we have a Native film in, and then we have some other Native sessions as well. The women one is a big, big emphasis this year. I had actually planned to develop a women's literary society sort of thing for a couple of years with the arrival of Me Too and Time's Up 
the zeitgeist was hitting. And we developed this women's literary society that helped to bring female writers to the book festival. So there were writers who came I wouldn't have been able to afford to bring, including Michael Kimmel, who's an expert on masculinity, who's going to be speaking, a woman named Winnie Lee from the UK, who's written a book on trauma and sexual assault, is going to be there. There's actually an insane amount of female writers this year. I looked at the schedule, and it's like every other session is women this and women that. But that's going to be fun this year. Now, obviously, anybody with a smartphone can go to Mm baybookfest.org when they show up, say, at the Civic Center at, say, 9 or 10 a.m. Saturday, and they can see. Is there going to be some kind of printed program that people can walk around with? Yes. Yesterday in the Chronicle on April 22nd, I believe it was, there is a 32-page program guide that gives a description of all the sessions, all the details about how to go to the festival, the exhibitors. Everything is in there. We also, we have a bunch of overruns of those that we distribute around town. If you didn't get it in the Chronicle, although you can sometimes find copies lying around, also they will be at the festival itself. We'll have thousands of copies at the info booths and just lying around, so it's easy to get. And the festival begins at what time on Saturday? Uh, 10 a.m. is when the sessions start on Saturday and on Sunday, and then the booths open at 11. And it continues all day Saturday and Sunday, and then at the PFA thing, that's earlier on Wednesday. That starts Wednesday night, Thursday night. And then this year, we're also continuing a little later on Saturday night. Robert Reich is doing a talk on his book, The Common Good, which really became a bit of a thematic anchor for the festival this year. Just like last year after the election, we focused on the resistance. We just couldn't not last year, a lot on activism and resistance. This year, given how fractious everything has become, we focused a lot on kind of countering extremism, dialogue, overcoming hatred, session on free speech we're doing also. So there's a lot on speech and talking and trying to talk nicely to each other. So Robert Reich will be there Saturday night? Saturday night night at uh, 7.30. He'll be doing a keynote. For more information, you can go to baybookfest.org. And you can listen to other interviews either as Radio Olinsky podcasts or in the archives pages of bookwaves.com. Until next time, I'm Richard Walensky on the Area 941 Radio Walensky Podcast.